It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. BWI Live, I'm Thomas Frank Carr, and uh, yes, I'm here, I can see you, today is a live show, live live, not uh, on our usual Wednesday shows, it's the KSN show, and it's a a pre-tape thing that uh, you can hear um, across Pennsylvania on on several different radio networks, uh, and also here exclusively on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel, Um, but due to, I guess you call these acts of God when the weather is so bad that it knocks out power and there's a bunch of different things going on. So Jim was not able to get up any sort of recording situation for us to to have the show for this week. So I'm here live talking to you about something I wrote on Monday over bluewhiteillustrated.com. Uh, we are going to be discussing Penn State's transfer portal uh, and giving out grades for their work getting players to Happy Valley. Um, We've discussed their needs several times here uh, on the BWI Live show. We'll go over that as we go throughout the show because it's important to know, you know, what are you grading against in terms of what do you need and then um, how did you perform in the portal acquiring that talent and then kind of the nebulous of what's, uh, what's, what, what what is the highest you could expect what's a reasonable curve to grade on um so th- that's going to be kind of what we talk about here on the show today and also anything you want to talk about anything you want to uh join in and and have uh, as part of the show of course you know i have my prepared stuff and then if you got any questions you want to talk about certain players certain positions certain people uh in this we can break all of that down um always remind you a great time to sign up for blue white illustrated i'll rip this band-aid off as i give you the special promo two months for a dollar code psu1 for blue white illustrated you can get two months you can get all the inside info the skinny on recruiting uh, during uh, the lead up to the next National Signing Day in February. And of course, Junior Days, which are coming up this uh, Friday and Saturday. We're going to be talking about those on tomorrow's live show, on the recruiting show. So let's get into it. Let's talk about Penn State uh, and their their work during the winter portal. Uh, here were the needs that we identified talking about here on the show. First thing is, <laughs> we're talking about it all off season. We're going to talk about it again today. Wide receiver. Penn State needs wide receivers. A game breaker, a wide receiver number one, a guy that can change the, the the gravity of the field would be great, right? That's kind of the the ideal. Um, but a veteran presence is absolutely what they need with a lot of those class of 2022 guys filling the roster, being young veterans and some unproven players that don't have playing experience. You need somebody who's done it before. Uh, offensive tackle, preferably a plug-and-play player, somebody who can come in and play either left or right tackle, Probably the best situation would be right tackle. 
but you'd like a guy with versatility. We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, the defensive line was something in the portal that they were looking for initially. We'll talk about that. And then cornerback, just at, at a certain point, just bodies. But really what you'd like to do is replenish the talent and the depth of the position. So uh, both for the future and they needed a veteran presence on this team. And how do they go about filling all of those needs? There are also some bonus players we're not going to be talking about Chase Meyer, the kicker. I apologize. I just, the, the kicking is what it is. It's it's just something that um, I think people who understand it couldn't even tell you exactly how to go about doing it in, in a way that is repeatable for every uh, kicker. So let's get into that wide receiver conversation, and I'll give you the grade to start here, and then we'll talk about it. So Penn State gets Julian Fleming from the transfer portal, the Ohio State wide receiver, uh, we're calling this a B minus because the team probably at this position wanted a little bit more depth of experience players, uh, you know, maybe somebody with some high upside to bring in to the room. So two would have been preferable. So because of that, you go from, you know, a, a high B getting Julian Fleming, a veteran receiver who's done it at the highest level in one of the most complete rooms in America. Um, but you didn't maybe quite get all of what you want. Now, that is the grade I gave in the article. Since then, there's uh, confirmation, as much as we're going to get at this point, that Keandre Lambert-Smith is coming back uh, for another season. So there's a veteran on the team. So presumably, this is your lineup next year of Julian Fleming outside. Keandre Lambert-Smith can go to the slot full-time this year. And then uh, Trey Wallace on the other side. And really, that position... That's where I think there can be a number of options uh, this upcoming season. Whether it's Malik McLean, if he takes a step forward in spring football in his second year at Penn State, uh, maybe Anthony Ivey is a guy that could fill that role. Um, competition, just generally from the depth at that, at that position, there could be some guys at that particular spot who could be... Um, helpful and I'm, I'm assuming he'll be the X in this situation he'll be that's where he played this past season so that is a veteran lineup that's the veteran lineup you'd be looking for it's the production that I think is is interesting so let's ask does Julian Fleming fix this particular situation um based on the numbers 2023 was not as good as 2022 for Julian Fleming kind of like you know Penn State um, these are some of the numbers you can check over at PFF, but Fleming caught 46% of his catches in man coverage last year. So one of Penn State's problems was in high leverage situations, they were good against cover zero, but cover one, just man coverage was a problem. So does Julian Fleming fix that? Seven catches for 56 yards and zero touchdowns last season, one of four in contested catch situations with two drops. Doesn't look like that really helps the situation. 2022 was better. But he is, of course, the number three receiver in both of these situations. 7 of 10, 92 yards, 5 first downs. So that's stability in man coverage situations. That's stability. But he is a he is a zone-beating receiver. He's been very good at that over the last couple of seasons. Uh, 2022, again, with C.J. Stroud, a better quarterback, 20 receptions, 351 yards, 2 touchdowns, and 50% in contested catch situations in man, uh, in, sorry, in zone, co in zone coverage situations. So that's kind of his profile. He's not an elite separator, I would say, from a route running perspective. He's a good route runner. He understands how to run routes. He understands leverage and fighting against defensive backs. But when it comes to the actual nitty-gritty of making hard cuts or making cuts that create separation, he doesn't always do that. Um, I also think kind of watching 
So I went back and I watched Tom Allen's defense against Ohio State. I'm trying to get more information, trying to learn more about what Tom Allen does. And it was really helpful to then go watch Julian Fleming against Tom Allen in Ohio State and see how all of these different pieces interact. And there is a little bit of the Big Ten has figured out Ryan Day's offense a little bit. So it is vertically based. They want to attack downfield with these deep crossers and vertical routes. And uh, Tom Allen just basically designed a bespoke defense that week to take away deep crossers and some of those outside routes that either uh, cut inside, uh, hitches, things like that, doubling with zone. So I think there's an element of that. And then there's an element when you're talking about Julian Fleming's final year at Ohio State where Marvin Harrison Jr. is on his team. And you've got uh, Kyle McCord, who's not to the same level as the quarterbacks recently. So there's a step back in production. Does he have the same problem at Penn State? Uh, that's going to be TBD, right? Of Andy Kotelnicki and uh, the Drew Aller and how all of those things interact with him coming to Penn State. But you, you look at this now veteran top line and I think it's a little better than B minus that's what I've been you know leading up to here I think it's better than the initial grade when you factor that in now Keandre Lambert Smith has to be better in the slot so Julian Fleming doesn't fix this by himself the man coverage that's a problem uh Keandre Lambert Smith doesn't fix this by himself but if you get the best of both of those guys you get the best of Trey Wallace now you've got a situation where things look a little better but here's the reality. Here's the production from last season. Keandre Lambert-Smith in the slot, 22 receptions, 250 yards, one touchdown, and a passer rating when targeted, according to PFF, of under 100, 96.4. He was uh, three drops and 0 of 1 in contested catch situations from the slot. Um, all of those top-line numbers are bang average for slot receivers in the Big Ten, and that's for guys who have at least 20 targets. So uh, average to below average. So... It has to be a, you have to be committed to this, I think. And then this raises the question to me, if you've got these guys and you want to play with these three receivers, do you have so, do you go so heavy into 12 personnel? Is that your identity next year? I think part of the problem for this offense was, and I said this before, your number one receiver moves into the slot when you want to throw to him. You have two tight ends that are operating in the shallow part of the field and don't go downfield. And then you have running backs that you want to target. Everything is right here in the middle of the field. You're not targeting anything out or deep. So somebody's got to do that. And it's it's hard from the slot sometimes to create those explosive plays the same way as it is of just getting open out wide. They still need that guy, whether it's Amari Evans or uh, or uh, Trey Wallace again, bringing him up of, of explosive deep play guys. Julian Fleming has deep speed. Let's not forget that. Like he is not slow but he's not the deep burner that those guys have the profile to be. So that's really the, the receiver position. You've got some options, but the B grade here is not a home run, right? So an A plus would be you bring in a guy that solves all the problems. And that's going to be kind of the theme for this particular class is none of these guys are really going to solve all of the problems. Um, We've got some people here in chat. Stephen Keel, he says, do you think that it is not about the wide receiver room, but how the new offense coordinator can scheme and adapt? uh to uh this talent yes yes it is but the best the best schemers still need the pieces to work with like it, you know everyone loves macgyver but you would much rather have a syringe than have to use a a a pen and drain the ink out of it right like 
just because you can uh, hit a hole in one with a broomstick doesn't mean you don't want really nice golf clubs. I'm talking, I've never seen MacGyver or golfed all that much, but you get what I'm saying. Like you would rather have the proper tools for the proper job. And um, you still need to have some of those elements. Even Andy Koldenicki is not going to craft an amazingly explosive offense that beats the best teams if he doesn't have the proper tools to do it. So I, I do think you're right. That is a that is a percentage bonus for these guys. But at the same time, you know, uh, you need the talent to do it. Speaking of the talent to do it, offensive line, Penn State adds Nolan Rucci. That's going to be where we go next. Penn State loses Olu Fashano, Caden Wallace, and they bring back a lot of young players. Drew Shelton? He's been groomed for this moment for two years now. We've been watching him play. He needs to get better. He needs to step in and take one of these jobs. Um, Chase Basantis, early in the conversation, uh, was a name that was floated around. Former target, left Texas A&M, but they ultimately don't get him. He goes back to Texas A&M. Penn State does, though, land a six foot eight offensive tackle that is a former five-star that has all of those traits and talents and is on the way to being a player that is a... I don't want to say complete, but more playable guy at 300 pounds than he was at 270 or what he was coming out of high school. So we're going to give this one the offensive line. They didn't get a second player here. They didn't get an interior player. Not that I think that they necessarily need it, but we're going to go with a B plus here. Um, you land talent and a guy that is not so far away from contributing that there isn't an outside chance with a semester in the weight room and spring football that he could be close to competing for a starting tackle job at Penn State. Competing. We're not penciling him in as a starter, but he's absolutely good enough to be in the mix. And this is where uh, we have to be careful. I have to be careful here because there are 70 total snaps over the last two seasons at Wisconsin. There are, and this is the thing that I think is surprising, only 20 special team snaps in the last two years. So not only was he not on the field, he wasn't on special teams. And I don't know what that says about Nolan, the situation, the change between Fickle and Paul Christ and Jim Leonard being in there for a little bit. Like, there's a lot of stuff that was going on at Wisconsin. But fresh start at Penn State, he needs to contribute more, I think, at some point. Even if he is, might see Penn State in a tackle rotation. You know, right now it is very unsettled. I, I don't think you should feel confident necessarily about the way that Drew Shelton played. Um, in that bowl game and the way that I, I don't know that we've seen significant progress from him outside of the flashes of great play. So there's an opportunity for Nolan Rucci to play left or right tackle at Penn State. Both of those positions are open. And the guys that might replace him, you've got a redshirt freshman, whether it's Javen Williams or Anthony Donko, and then you've got uh, a guard last year in J.B. Nelson. Uh, those are your realistic options who we've seen play or that we've we've seen, you know, even in spring ball uh, take snaps to those positions. So not not a great situation. And, and Rucci brings talent. I guess that's the thing is like I'm still enamored with his upside. So maybe I'm giving this a little bit more uh, of, a, of a leeway, a little more bonus in that sense. But a B plus of a guy who can come in and I think keeps the level of talent you've acquired um, without, if he, if he was ready to step in and start and, and just wanted to get out of Wisconsin, this would be an A, an A, A plus, but he's got to realize that talent. I just think that there's the outside shot. He can get into the weight room, get bigger and stronger. Penn State has proven they can do that with, with football players. He doesn't look like he's carrying bad weight. Of course, like he's a six foot eight offensive tackle. He's carrying almost not enough weight, you know, looks skinny. 
So all of those things I think are really important for Penn State to, uh, this one's got to work out. You know, like that's, I think that's the razor's edge here. This could be a B plus, but it also could be an F, you know, if they don't, if they're struggling to find somebody to replace, um, to replace that tackle production, which last year was good, regardless of how you feel about the offense. And there, there was a lot of protecting the, the tackles and the quarterback with the dropback passing game. Um, they couldn't do it at all times, and the offensive line was still better, especially at the tackle position at that pass protection stuff. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Uh, by the way, if you're watching the show, you're enjoying the show here, we're talking, I know I'm monologuing. It's not always the most entertaining thing is, you know, when we've got, uh, you know, people in the chat. So if you've got any questions, comments, conversation, uh, you know, drop that in. Also, uh, share with your friends. Let everybody know we're live today because this is a bit of an impromptu thing. So uh, if there's people that are regulars that aren't here that usually are, let, let them know. Uh, like and share the video if you would. Let's get into the defense. You know, the offense, I think, is a little unsettled. That's where you, you'd see, uh, I don't know about how they did here. But in, the, in my mind, the way that they did, uh, they, they were able to retain talent, and that's where we're going to start on the defense and acquire talent at other positions is where they really succeeded in this class. Retention, I think, is the buzzword of the offseason. Keandre Lambert-Smith is a part of this conversation, but also the defensive tackles. Uh, the, the top three guys you were wondering whether they were going to come back or not, all of them came back. So Penn State's defensive line, specifically defensive tackle, we're giving this an A. Um, they have the talent to replenish at defensive end. So we're not really looking for guys to come in and step in and, and you know, be a portal addition at end. Unless there was a, you know, a Chop Robinson, a borderline five-star that drops into your lap and you, you absolutely take that guy. Like, that can still happen in the spring window. But, like, we expect them to be okay at defensive end. Maybe even good. Deny Dennis Sutton has to take that step. Guys at that position have to take that step. But defensive tackle. They were going to lose a lot of veteran talent that, that spent a lot of time developing and finally hit their stride. Devon Ellis is the top of this list to me. The way he played last year, especially in run defense, providing that kind of one technique run stuffer, and, and not a guy that is eating double teams all the time, but is penetrating into the backfield, fits into this defense really well. Uh, that's awesome. I, I think for Penn State and his development and all those things, that's really good uh, for him to come back for another year. Keziah Izzard... I, growth development he flashes being a complete defensive tackle at times but I mean he's got to be on the field and he's got to be on the field for all the games without some of the off-field stuff whatever it is where he's not present for the first two to four games of the season repeatedly um and of course then you have Hakeem Beeman another guy on that development curve physically and uh emotionally 
I just think that with his length, if he has another offseason to grow, I, I don't know that with his, he's ever going to be 315 pounds. But again, just refining and being older and more mature, this is something that Nate's talked about a lot. And I think with these COVID situations and with NIL, this does make a lot of sense. I think this is a smart thing to do to retain talent and not always bank on the next young guy is going to be better. Um, you know, we'll get into this a little bit later. We're going to be talking about guys with upside on the offense and defense. And, and, you know, some of those, if these, if these guys develop, whoo, there's going to be some competition this spring, but with these three guys returning Zane Durant, taking another step, this is a really good unit. And this is, we don't have to go any farther than this. Penn state's run defense was number one in America last year, 75.5 yards per game. That's first in college football. Uh, they're returning every major defensive tackle all but one linebacker and every major safety that was a part of the run defense last year, Jalen Reed um, and and uh, KJ Winston. Penn State's as strong up the middle as they've been probably under James Franklin. And of course, they're adding a big defensive line class this year as well. This gives you that runway of, hey, these guys are going to be around a little bit longer. You don't have to worry about, oh, okay, so now we've brought in T.A. Cunningham and some of these freshmen or, you know, Caleb Artis or Jordan Vandenberg. Like, they have to take the step this offseason. You've got a runway to create that pressure cooker of competition between those on the, the guys lower in the uh, depth chart. And if that produces some of those guys to develop, then you're just, you know, you're humming at this at this position. But Penn State's defensive tackles, again, we're giving this an A because retention. This is the best defensive run-stuffing unit in America. I know you're losing Manny Diaz, and, like, you can't put a number to that, you know, whether they're number one next year or they're number five or they're number 15 or, you know, something happens, they fall off a cliff. But this is a unit that, from a talent and production standpoint, returns from the best in America last year. So you should expect very good. Um, they didn't get better in terms of, you know, finding that first round draft pick in the portal to come in and play for you for one year. That would be an A plus, you know, somehow magically they get infinitely better, you know, just putting that threshold. I don't want to say out of reach, but doesn't, it would be very hard to get there. Um, uh, let's go in the chat. I'm trying to read some of these again, as I always do. Um, I don't know what Tom Mason's talking about trying to replicate Michigan. Um, let's see. Universal Basic Ramen says Penn State arguably has the most talent they've had, yet can't beat Ohio State in their darkest year. That's sad. Okay, I thought we were going somewhere with that other than just, you know. The, when I say we're playing the hits, by the way. So when I say we're playing the hits, if you read the internet and it's a comment like that, like that, that's established. Like the internet is aware of that opinion and that stance. So yes, we'll we'll flash that up here every once in a while. We'll we'll talk about that as you know, give you your right to have that opinion. But that's not going anywhere. Like this is a show that's a dead end. So we're not going to be talking about that particular conversation heading down into a spiral of anger and and darkness. As you said in their darkest hour, Stephen Keel asks: When you look at Tom Allen's defense, do you see more of a Tampa two shell like uh, with uh, the young cornerback room? This is a great point. It's not a it's not a Tampa two shell. Um, most colleges don't play Tampa two. Most most teams can't get away with playing Tampa two. And by Tampa 2, it means two deep safeties all the time and a Mike linebacker that drops 15 yards off the line of scrimmage to cover the middle of the football field to take away some of those in-breaking routes. 
So that is, you know, a, a it's called Tampa 2 because Monty Kiffin, the dad of Lane Kiffin, uh, created this defense that led the Bucks to a championship. Uh, just for everybody who doesn't necessarily know all of the details there. They run uh, mixed coverages. And that's the point is Tom Allen's defense runs mixed coverages, mostly three and four, cover three, cover four. There's a lot of quarters elements that has caused uh, defenses or offenses trouble that's taken away explosive plays and allowed them to still play with run defenders in the box. But this is a, um, this is a multiple defense. They don't run a lot of man coverage though. And I think that's the point, Steven, that you're right about shifting away from Manny Diaz ran man coverage a lot. They ran a lot of press man coverage. This is going to run some of those things. There's going to be matching concepts in zone. So there's still going to be single coverage, but it's going to be, a lot more about vision, anticipation, and attacking the football in the air more so than playing the man. And the way even some of the underneath defenders, linebackers, and this is going to get into some stuff about Abdul Carter later this offseason, um, he's very good, or he has been very good at teaching good eye discipline and understanding of concepts of routes to his coverage defenders, not just the corners. There will be busted coverages. Like the closer I look, the more there are busted coverages maybe that uh, weren't an initially apparent because it can be a little bit chaotic. So um, it's not perfect. There are some risk rewards in this defense, but we'll also see what he wants to do with more talent, kind of like the Andy Cole Nicky conversation and the receiver talent and all of those things. This is a lot of, it's a lot of unknown of you're, you're now arriving at a stage with more tools. And Nate made a, a good comment about this yesterday on the show of, I don't know that Tom Allen's job is going to be terribly difficult to turn around the Penn State defense that had, as we just said, is returning the best run unit up the middle in college football. Now, the defensive ends are a whole other story, but I think uh, we don't need to get down that tangent unless you want to. Um, the question here that Robert Bosfield is asking, with the established depth and experience with a Tom Allen, do you expect them to be as stout? Uh, two factors come into this. The transition of systems and understanding language within the system so that there aren't mental mistakes from a process standpoint of everyone's on the same page of Tom Allen's defense. How much can they, it's not just the personnel and where you're playing that are the same. What are you calling things so that, you know, if you're a linebacker, I need to be in the B gap, you know, to be in the B gap. If you, on this play, I need to, I need to read what he does to know where to go. Uh, however that is played, uh, do I play this pull inside or outside? Do we spill it? Do we try and sting it in the backfield? Manny Diaz, they, they did some things that were pretty radical with pulls where they just attacked the defensive end upfield and tried to trap the running back in the backfield. I haven't seen Tom Allen do that. So those little subtle changes and everyone being on the same page, you can arrive in the same spot through different process, but you've all got to be on the same page. And that to me is going to be how this off season and, and what they decide to do and how he maybe augments his defense to fit what they have trying to meet in the middle or do they go he goes this is my system you need to learn my system and it you know roll it out in in september the second part of this is um the simplicity of the front because how do i phrase this they do less but that doesn't make it easier when you do less against teams um you're you're more predictable and your players are in spots you expect so then they have to be better 
Like, they have to win. Um, it's not so simple that it's, like, easy to predict. They do some things. I think Tom Allen has done a great job challenging zone concepts. Again, going back to the game against Ohio State, they did a great job of making that uh, scheme and that offensive line guess about where they were going to be, but it's not as extreme as Manny Diaz. So they got both with Manny Diaz in this front where it's complicated. You're slanting and you're stunting and you're twisting and you're bringing guys from different locations and you're trying to get these linebackers free for a tackle for a loss. There's just less of that, but Manny Diaz and his defense were both uh, on point with those uh, schemes and they were aggressive and good and competent and able to hold the point of attack. That was really the shift last year. So do they reach that level of competent execution and talent production? Um, you are removing the variable of complexity a little bit, and that might give some teams the ability to break off more yards. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's a little bit cloudy. I have to see what they do and they, we, we won't see all of it in the spring game, but kind of get an idea of how much they're going to do next year. Um, uh, this is Lamb to ask this question. Do you think Tom Allen ran more zone because of his uh, preference or because he didn't have the athletes to run man chicken or the egg Lambda? I know this has been a conversation. I, you might've even asked this at a, a different point, but here, here's the thing. Tom Allen created this defense because maybe he didn't have the man coverage skills he wanted in the secondary, but they found something there. And he talked about changing windows and being unpredictable in the secondary and creating confusion for the quarterback in his press conference. So like when you bring your stated goals and you're saying that to people, that's going to be part of it. Like I, I know <laughs> that you can't take every press conference word for word and it's, it's, you know, gospel, but that's a pretty extreme, uh, shift to go all man coverage, to be like Manny Diaz in that sense, when you don't have, the same pressure packages and pressure results. They've been good at getting pressure, and I think they can be good at getting pressure next year with what he does. But again, it's not as complicated. It's not as aggressive. It's not as, um, it's it, it's just different. So if you want to run man coverage, then you got to have these elite corners, and Pence just lost a lot of experience. So I think it's chicken or the egg on both sides, but I do think, if you're asking me right now with the information I have right now, and I'm not in the defensive room where they're making these plans, I would say they're going to be a zone team next year. They're going to be heavier into zone. And that doesn't mean they're less aggressive. Uh, we're going to talk about this. We've shown a little bit on T Frank's film room. Some of the things they do with, um, with defensive backs is bat bleep crazy in terms of rotations and aggressiveness with trying to jump routes. Um, so this is this is the I think the biggest question about next year is how much do they play man? It's a good question, but you know, my starting point here is they're going to be playing zone. And that leads us perfectly, Lambda, you're the best. Thank you. Into our cornerback grade. Uh forget ignore that. It's the cornerback grade. We're giving this an A minus because they needed two things within this particular uh portal window. They needed guys to meet the standard and talking about that just now about Penn State's cornerback play if you look at the talent they've lost Johnny Dixon and Kalen King they're going to play in the NFL Kalen King can be a starter Johnny Dixon can be a starter Joey Porter Jr. is a starter Daquan Hardy is going to be a slot uh, nickel in the NFL so that's a lot of talent to lose in two years they have to 
keep that standard. Terry Smith has to find the, the athletes to play that position at a high level. Now, man coverage is specific, and you might say it's the highest in the order of talent to play man coverage and to be as aggressive as they have been. But you can have great Hall of Fame level zone corners. It's about executing your assignment every single time and having the athletic, just different athletic skills, explosiveness and change of direction to come downhill on zone concepts and jump routes. Mental anticipation. Maybe you don't need to be a 4-3-5 athlete with uber loose hips, but you do need to be able to change directions and burst and be able to jump routes with anticipation and intelligence. Um, the guys they brought in fit that description. Jalen Kimber uh, is a former uh, top 150 athlete, uh, formerly, and so is a, uh, AJ Harris. A uh, little bit different. You know, maybe that pure man corner skill is there for uh, Kimber, and AJ Harris maybe is more of a what I just described of a zone corner, physical, explosive, come downhill, but maybe doesn't have the greatest deep speed. But, you know, we need to take these one at a time because I got points about each. So let me just start with Kimber because he's going to be the guy that I think clearly Penze wants to have on the field playing because they bring in veteran experience. They needed to get veteran experience. They got a guy who's played for two years, started one in the SEC. Some of the things here, though, about Kimber do cause me some concern. And watching the film, but also just backing it up here with some of the data you can find in man coverage situations, 10 of 16 passes uh, for 230 yards, a touchdown, and a passer rating of 127. So he's allowing over 50% completion, uh, 230 yards, 100 and some yards after the catch. Zone coverage, he was better. And again, this is one of those situations where they play some match concepts and the zone man numbers maybe aren't entirely clear-cut in my mind that I think that they're, maybe it's a fair definition of the two. Also, he played in a system, and we talk about this. Uh, you can check this out. I, I had a thread about this uh, last week talking about Kimber when I was watching his film about some of the situations where in the, in the Florida defense, his safety totally hung him out to dry by being wrong. So then suddenly he's expecting help from a certain perspective, certain angle, he's expecting there to be a defender there. He's playing his leverage correctly. And then it's just a big explosive play because he did his job, but somebody else didn't do their job. And he looks, you know, he looks bad on TV. Then another situation where the safety dove at the legs and kind of fell at the legs of Lad McConkey in the Georgia game, took him out. And then there's this big catch and run on a man concept. So, it, you know, some of these numbers can be skewed by the situation. They don't paint the full picture, which is why you, you got to have both. But the man coverage, I think, is fair. Because watch the game against LSU. In man coverage, he was not good enough, not physical enough to uh, attack those receivers and play to that level. So the aggression needs to change for him to be a good corner um, overall, just kind of from a skill perspective and allow his traits, his speed, his athleticism, his mobility all to come through. Because if you're not playing with confidence and, and being assertive on the field, those skills don't necessarily matter. On the flip side, AJ Harris, I saw 189 or 89 total snaps, 89 total snaps is not a lot. This boils down to five targets in man coverage and three targets in zone coverage. Again, there's some stuff on film. Just we're getting trying to get a baseline of his understanding of, of what he is and how he plays. 
maybe not the fastest guy in the world, but I think fits this defense that they're trying to build under Tom Allen very well. Zone corner, he's aggressive coming downhill. Um, he might not have the loosest hips in the world to turn and run with everybody, but that might also be technique. He's a he's, He was a freshman last year. A lot of that stuff, talking the flip side of Jalen Kimber. He might have the athleticism, but doesn't have the institutional experience in order to play press man coverage that way. There is a little bit of you can or you can't there, but uh, you can get better knowing exactly how to do it and not over committing to double moves or things like that or getting set up at the line of scrimmage. But in certain situations, he looked very good. He understood the Georgia defense, which again, uses a lot of complex coverages and a lot of it asks a lot of these guys. Late in game, mop up stuff, they're playing simpler, but they are doing still stuff out of the game plan. So he looked impressive. You, I, I don't think you're expecting him to come in and start this uh, among these four corners that they've got, but he has the talent to be a comparable player to Johnny Dixon when they got him out of South Carolina. Different skills, but comparable talent level. Eventually can be a plus starter um, in, in college football at the Big Ten level. So they got the assignment. The only thing they didn't get, again, is they didn't get a guy to come into the portal and be a superstar. And that's kind of where we we have to have this conversation about the portal and NIL and the reality of getting some of these top targets. Um, you know, talking to the people we do here on the show and having Nate and, and Fitz talk about these things and having money be a part of the conversation, you can have a guy, you can want to get a guy, you can have a perfect situation for him, but if you don't have the NIL resources, or as Nate talked about yesterday, you don't want to commit those NIL resources to somebody that is an unknown and an outsider to create problems in your locker room, that's not the model they're going for. They still want to develop this talent that's you know on the roster and take care of their own. So there is an interesting, like, how do you grade these guys? Because they didn't get some of the top, talent at the positions where they needed that would be a plug-and-play starter that would make the team you know like oh your eyes get wide but was that on the table was that realistic was that fair um and that's where we get to and this will be the final thing from me we'll talk to you in the chat here fully after this is uh, the overall grade here and I think maybe I was even a little bit harsh here. The overall class grade, maybe I hedged my bets a little bit. We went with a B plus. Now, literally, I averaged the grades that I gave them in a grade calculator like a teacher. Um, so if we gave them a solid B for the receivers, now we're talking about this might be an A minus grade. They, they got a receiver in the portal to come in and be a veteran presence. I don't want to say he's Mitchell Tinsley with Julian Fleming, but a zone receiver that's going to be where you accept, expect him to be and is going to get open in all of the most of the situations you expect from a veteran receiver. Um, again, with Keandre Lambert Smith coming back, you've got that explosive dynamic quality. Maybe you can play him where you actually want to play him this year uh, instead of having to have this hybrid situation. You get Nolan Rucci, a top talent perspective at a position that if you're trying to get a plug and play top talent, again, that's kind of the, the laugh at that idea. Like that's kind of laughable. So they kind of split the difference there. Can develop the talent. They have a prior relationship. They clearly believe in him. They recruited him twice. They believe they can get the best out of Nolan Rucci. But is it right now? Not really. Uh, it could be. You know, I think there's a quick development. Penn State stays the same at a position where they were elite. And then, of course, they bring in guys that I think fit the bill and fit the definition uh, with Jalen Kimber and A.J. Harris. And again, I'm a little concerned about Kimber in that, you know, I, 
better better pass rush might be a part of the conversation. I know that Florida didn't have uh, the same pass rush that Penn State had uh, the last two years, but very few teams have. And does Penn State have that again this year? We're going to find out. That's some of the things we're going to find out. So overall, I would say this is a this is a B plus effort, A minus effort uh, for Penn State. They got all of their needs in the transfer portal and realistic players that you can expect something out of um, for this next uh, this next year, um, whether and and also for the future. Um, so that's what I got here for the BWI live show today. A little bit of an impromptu thing. If you want to check out all the, the stuff over at bluewhiteillustrated.com, I wrote the article earlier this week. Some of the other things I'm thinking about this week, just, you know, uh, upside. We were talking about all these players and who fits into the depth chart, who are the guys that we're looking at, but maybe who are the, guys, who are the potential guys to uh, make good on some unreal talent? And we'll see. Don't have any insight into that, just, you know, from a physical perspective, from a traits perspective, who has the most upside on the roster. That's something um, that we're going to talk about later this week. So check that out, bluewhiteillustrated.com. Um, we talked about this yesterday. Robert Parker, from what I read, the new special teams coordinator seems like a home run hire. Um, we talked about that on the show yesterday. You want to check that out at bluewhiteillustrated.com as well. We have the highlights of the show cut up and put into our video player. You can check them out there. Um, this is from JC Corrigan. Where are you most pleasantly surprised and most puzzled with the transfer portal results. Um, hmm. I, I just think that they got guys that have a lot of talent. You know, I, I think that A.J. Harris has, has a good bit of talent. I think Nolan Rucci has a good bit of talent. You know, they, they, they got the veterans they needed, and I think those high floor, maybe you'd call those guys, are known quantities in Julian Fleming and Jalen Kimber. They're not as sexy. They're essential. They're super important. But, you know, I, I, this is the thing, you know, when you, I got into football because I love uh, these guys that have so much talent that can do things you've never seen before. Nolan Rucci could be one of those guys. So having the opportunity to see that, if it all works out, I think that's, that's where you'd say you're pleasantly surprised that they, they got some guys that have talent. And that's where I think you, you split the difference in some of these areas of immediate impact, but also long-term potential and and Rucci is just longer along the line in physical development college development he's an older more mature player than some of the guys they have on the roster that have similar talent you know I made this comparison Garrett Sexton has similar talent but you don't want him having to do it this year so Nolan Rucci brings a little bit of both and I think that that's that is a, it's a big win and it is another one of those Phil Troutwine development stories that I think if you if it hmm I have a hard time sometimes with development because it's so much of it is on the player to get it. You know, like you can you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Olu Fashinu put in the work and had the talent and put in the work to be great. So both elements need to be there. Nolan Rucci seems like a guy, from what I've seen, in a situation that's been in flux since he got to Wisconsin, that has put in the work to be as good as he is now, but where he is on the development curve, he needs more of that development. And Phil Troutwine has developed guys. So I guess it's another interesting one where that would be maybe a feather, like undeniable proof that you can develop a guy who was not on that path before and then gets to Penn State. And if he does, then you have, I, I think, your honor, clear, irrevocable proof that he can develop offensive linemen. So it's uh it, it's a it's an interesting situation 
where uh, there's a lot of potential with that one. Um, KJ Johnson says, I think B plus is a fair grade, hits, fair grade hits the needs now and uh, needs you have to hit. Um, Eli says, we still need another deep threat and another solid cornerback. T Frank, what else do you think Penn State needs to get? I'd give it a B to a B minus. Uh, I think two corners is uh, a win. I wouldn't, I, if you wanted to say they need to bring in a proven slot corner, I could, I could get on board and understand that. But at the same time, if Jalen Kimber, Zion Tracy, and Cam Miller are all on the roster, one of those guys can play the slot. I think Zion Tracy might be able to play the slot from a talent perspective. Cam Miller, I think, has the same... You know, all three of those guys might have the same ability to play from the slot from a talent perspective. How many of them can understand and perform that task? You don't have a proven guy there. But don't forget Antoine Belgrave-Shorter and John Mitchell, two highly thought of and in some situations highly ranked corners are coming into the room as well. So they are getting talent from that perspective. And Penn State has been more bullish to play young corners early if they have to or want to. So there is more talent coming in. We talked about King Mac maybe playing slot corner um, for playing that nickel role for Penn State. There are options on the roster, including you know some of the safeties as well. So there there's a there's a little bit of wiggle room with that slot position, and so that's why I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, from the receiver perspective, they got a lot of deep threats, but again, are you finding a proven deep threat in the transfer portal if you're not paying for it? That's again, I guess where I'm I'm going with this, Eli is. I agree with you. They need a guy that can be the guy. <laughs> Finding that in the transfer portal, I think, is an unrealistic ask. And maybe you're saying just a deep threat, but even just a deep threat is unbelievably valuable. It is super valuable. And those guys, Isaiah Bond is going to Texas. He left uh, Alabama to go to Texas. So these are the, these are the, the, you know, ions. I don't know anything about science, but just like, you know, like ion attaching to a different molecule or something like that. Just they, they're, they're in a certain class going up, uh, across up here. And maybe you're not in that particular conversation because of what we described with Penn State and not willing to pay for uh, talent in the portal the same way. And I think that Fitz made this point last week and I think this is a, he wrote about this over at the site, guys that Penn State targeted last year in the portal and just reviewed how they did at their individual institutions where they went that wasn't Penn State. It's still a crapshoot. There's, I don't want to say there's, there's a reason these guys are leaving because there's a lot of different reasons these guys are leaving, but they are leaving, right? So they're, they're not complete products going to the NFL, which is where you're getting those those guys unless they have, you know, they've proven it already and they just need to run up their clock. And in that case, it might be the guys we're talking about going from one place that's going for a college football playoff to another that plays on that level of NIL. So like not to repeat myself, but that's kind of where it ends up of what's available, what's realistic, and how do you find those guys? So I do think you're right, Eli, like, the, the receiver room, they can add another. I think that would be wise. That's going to be a place where they could. Offensive line is another place. They could add another player. But in the spring portal, that's going to be something different. Um, and those guys, again, are going to have to make up a lot of time that they're not going to have in the winter portal, which is why I think this group is so important. And that's really the last point. And, and I think that, you know, I make that in the article and I'm going to make it here at the end. It doesn't guarantee that all of these guys are going to work out and they're going to work out this year, but it gives them the option gives them the opportunity. We saw what happened with guys arriving late last year. 
being in the conditioning program, I think is the biggest thing. Having the winter and the summer to build up in Penn State's program, which has been, again, proven that it makes dudes. And then to be in spring ball and get that those practices, that time with your teammates, but also integration into a new offense and a new defense. Everyone's starting from a, an even playing field right now from that perspective of how there there will be some retention maybe and there will be some advantages for guys that have been here before and all that stuff but from new offense coordinator new defensive coordinator the position coaches are the same but you do have to all learn certain things together and doing it now as opposed to the spring gives you the option if you put in the work and the time and things work out and you don't get hurt and all those that stuff to be a realistic option for next year that's why this is such an important window so that really to me is uh is why this is a good job for penn state to give guys time to develop and the option to be part of the 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 year next year and because they got guys that can do it i think the talent here is pretty good so that's today's bwi live show i'm thomas frank carr there is a big recruiting weekend coming up next for the class of 2025 junior days on the way we're gonna be talking about that tomorrow fits myself maybe ryan you know, there's some there's some weather stuff brewing, so we'll see if all that uh, hits this week. But we'll keep you up to date on all that stuff. We're talking about recruiting no matter what tomorrow, 10 a.m. here on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. We'll talk to you then.